The first chapter of Veracious clearly describes six days of creation, implying a 6,000-year-old universe, while the scientific evidence is of a more ancient history. So what is it? Do we go with the old Tyra and say it's a new world? Or do we say it's an old world and come up with a new Tyra? When science and the verses collide in a big bang, who comes out the victor? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to a brand new edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. This episode is kindly sponsored by Neanderthal Fire, selling quality Flintstones since 3005 BC. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the controversy surrounding the age of the universe, particularly how Terra views the age of the universe versus how the science seems to view the age of the universe. Um, and to do so, we are going to first introduce the scientific evidence of an old Earth. Then we're going to try to explain to you why people have the notion that the Terra says the world is only 5,781 years old. And then we will decide which of those two numbers does a believing Jew have to hold of. Obviously, we're not scientists, so we're not going to be going too much into detail into the specifics of the evidence, but we want to give you a basic outline. Uh, the basic way they get to the 14.8 billion year old universe is based on dating the stars. Uh, they do it based on the brightness, the mass, the distance, which they're able to, to estimate to the best of their ability. Um, and that basically gives the universe a youngest age of 14.8. When you hear the 14.8, that's based on the basically the oldest thing that we've seen so far, and therefore that's the youngest universe could be. Obviously, we could find something even older, but finding something younger is not going to make it younger, obviously, because once you find something at that 14.8 billion year mark, that's going to be the youngest the Earth, can, the universe can be. And, and the, the time, the age comes from the distance it would take that star to be seen by us, the, the, going at the speed of light, and based on how far away it is, that many years is what they say the age of the universe is. It's also based on a, a basic rate of... of uh of decay in the star where it'll be getting smaller. So based on how far it is, based on how, how bright it also gets less bright over time, uh, the mass decreases. So based on all those factors, they're able to come up with this number. Again, we're not scientists. We're not getting into that too much. Uh, the earth is another point of contention where obviously it doesn't matter how old the universe is, even the earth itself, they're able to date to longer than 6,000 years. They have that at around 4.5 billion years old. That's based on different dating uh, methods, the radiometric dating, a process by which the assumption of a consistent rate of radioactive decay causes elements to change into others. So by examining existing elements, right, so if I know that a certain element is going to decay into a different element, and I see a different element right in front of me, I can work backwards and figure out how long it's been decaying. That'll give me the age of the rock. This is called radiometric dating, otherwise known as radioactive dating. You know, during Corona, most Shaduchim happened on Zoom active dating. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, nice. <laughs> um, life on Earth. Okay, that's another thing. So that's the, the age of the Earth. But then life on Earth is dated to around 3.4 to 4.2 billion years. Um, the reason that range is so much like more than the other ones is because they're it's difficult to identify if something's a fossil or just a rock sediment. Um, this information comes from space.com. Again, not getting too much into the science for this. Uh, but this, this is issue. a fair overview of the scientific consensus of, let's say, all mainstream non-fringe scientists. And suffice it to say that that's much, much more than we have it. And even taking any sort of range of error into into account, it's not going to come to to lessen this. Um, definitely not to, to around 6,000. So the Psukim is fairly simple. We don't have to go too much into that. The Psukim throughout the first chapter in Bracious, it goes on day one, light was created. That was, uh, there was morning, there was night. That's the first day. On the second day, you have the skies and the and the ground being separated into two separate entities. Then you have the, the waters being separated. You have the vegetation, each one given its own special day and each one being created 
as its own kind. Um, the evolution question is going to be a topic for a different time. But in terms of the age, it seems pretty clear when the creation happened. And then if you trace through Boratius, it'll trace the, the lineage of different families, giving all the precise ages uh, until we get to a point where we're pretty much able to figure it out. And that puts the age of the universe, according to the literal reading of the Tyra, at 5781. All right, so I think the only age that's sort of questionable is those first six days, right? Because from Adam, from the creation of first man on day six... Told today, we have consistent genealogy. It's hard to say the genealogies are not literal because it's father and son. However, what a lot of people try to say is that the first six days are not actually six days, but those are um, a description, maybe a simplistic description of billions of years of evolutionary processes ending up in the most modern form of man who would be the creation of Adam. And that would be a way to align up with the science because the first six days, they're not telling you a true scientific story. It's a simplistic story of creation. Maybe you could loosely match up the days to the different eras of creation. However, in general, they say those six days are a lot longer than six days and that's where we have all those missing years. And when we say 5781, we mean from the creation of Adam, the first man, not for the creation of the universe. Right, just a quick point in the scientific method. Before we get into that, it is important to point out that the scientific method, especially in terms of dating things, is based on an assumption of unchanging conditions. For example, with the dating of, of let's say, the rocks, right? So we're looking at a certain decay. Now, obviously, we weren't able to measure the decay of elements in rocks until the past, you know, let's say, I'll give it a broad range of 100 years. So the assumption is, okay, we have a certain rate of decay now, and we're going to assume that that was the rate of decay from before now. And therefore, if we trace it back, assuming this rate of decay, we're going to end up at a certain year. But obviously, And we know how much it started with. Right, there's, right. so there's two assumptions. First, the rate of decay remains the same, and we know what the initial uh, starting point was. Now, in the previous attempts to date the Earth, they use the same method, but for using different variables. So, for example, one of the ways they did was changing sea levels and the cooling time of the Earth uh, and different rocks on the surface, which uh, which they... We're able to date those rocks, assuming that it was, it was there the whole time. And for those, they came out with totally different numbers. Uh, some of them were in the billions, some of them were in the hundred millions, uh, but completely different numbers. Both of those were, were discarded when advances in science discovered that the variables have not remained constant. The rise and fall of the ocean was ever-changing. It was not a constant, even though, okay, so we've been measuring the rise and fall for the past hundred years, and it seems to be, let's say, steadily rising. So we can assume it's always been rising, so we can trace it back to a point of nothingness from which it rose from. But we realize, no, it goes up and down, and we happen to be rating or uh, measuring it for a certain period of time where over that period of time it was always rising. But if we would have done it for another 10 years, let's say, then we realize it actually starts going down again. So that's obviously going to be one of the, uh, let's say, the weaknesses of the scientific method, which is this assumption. Now, I'm not saying that that's not the best method that they can use. But obviously, they have to have some sort of assumption in order to come up with any theory. But it's important to know that there are assumptions which have been proven to be false in previous cases, which they are going based on now. For the sake of this podcast, we are going to be assuming that the science is correct in everything. The universe, uh, from a let's say from an empirical standpoint, tracing it backwards, does point to 14.8 billion years. And that that is the assumption of the episode. And the Earth is around 4 billion years. So again, those are both numbers vastly larger and vastly older than the 6,000 years that the terror seems to say. So what do people generally do with this? So we said a little bit earlier, but what people generally do is they make the verses allegorical. When the psukim say night, morning, day one, night, morning, day two, night, morning, day three, what they're saying is that those are eras, epochs, perhaps. 
but not 24-hour days like we have today. It's not last night and this morning. That wasn't the time it took to create everything mentioned in the Torah on day one or everything in the Torah on day two. Rather, those are referencing long periods of time. And perhaps as soon as Adam came around, that was the most modern human. And from him, maybe you can count 5,781 years of, let's say, a fully intelligent human to God's standard who would be required to keep commandments. But everything prior to that, all the fossils of 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 uh, hominid, hominids, hominids, the, the pre-human forms, right? <laughs> humanoids. And the humanoids. No, I don't think that is either. But all the animals and all and all the 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 prior organisms even before they formed animals, those were all taking place during the period known as the six days of creation, which is in truth fourteen point eight billion days of creation or years of creation. Sorry. So that would be perfect, right? We have the uh, the psukim seem to imply something else, but that's fine. We can just take them down literally. Um, and that matches up as a science perfectly if we just, you know, assume the Pesachim are not meaning what they say literally. So the question that this podcast is going to be dealing with is, when is it allowed for a Jew to take Pesachim out of their literal meaning? There's obviously the rule from the Gemara, which most of us have heard, Ein that a verse cannot be taken out of its literal sense. But we're going to see that that's not supposed to be taken literally either. There are times when it could, and we just have to figure out exactly when. Yeah, so... We're going to be splitting this podcast into two parts. The first part will be dealing specifically with this question. When are you allowed to deviate from the simple understanding of the Pesukim? The next podcast is going to be dealing with solutions. It lets you cannot deviate from the Pesukim, or lets you could deviate from the Pesukim. The next podcast will be dealing with, okay, what are solutions to this problem, this specific problem of age of the universe, of the entire versus age of the universe of science. However, in this podcast, we will just be focusing on when are you allowed to deviate from Sukkim? The reason why we split it into two is because it's a pretty vast topic, and to try to cover both within the hour, 10 hour, and 20 minutes, which the listeners don't listen to anyways, would cause us to speed through topics, which we don't want to. We want everybody to be able to understand everything we're saying clearly, and therefore we split it into two. So the first person to really categorize in a, in a very beautiful way the rules of allegorizing Sukkim was Rav Sajigon in his Sefer Amunas Vedeas. Amunas Vedeas means beliefs and opinions, or is loosely translated to uh, beliefs and opinions. It was written in the, it was finished writing in the nine, 930, the year 930. It was written as a defense against those who don't believe in the oral tradition. So at that time, there's a lot of Karaites who basically would take the Psukim at, at their face value and did not hold of the tradition. And this Sefer was mainly coming to combat that. But he has one chapter which is dealing with basically this issue that we're dealing with now, which is taking Pesukim non-literally. And he gives four reasons when one is allowed to take a verse out of its literal meaning. So we're going to go through them quickly at first, and then we're going to go through each one particularly. So the first reason is it goes against a tradition. So for example, he says, the Pesuk says you get 40 lashes. We know that you only get 39 lashes. It's it's 40 minus 1 is what the Talmud tells us. So that's a tradition. So even though the Pesuk literally says 40 lashes, we know that it's not actually 40 lashes. Another one is a very famous one, an eye for an eye, an ear for an ear. That doesn't actually mean that a burn for a burn usually means, um, usually means <laughs> totally threw me off here. An eye for an eye and every, it usually means monetary compensation. Right. Um, so that would be the first reason it goes against tradition. The second one, it contradicts another verse. So for example, we have one verse, which says that you should, that you should look forward to tests from Hashem. And we have another verse, which says you're not supposed to be looking for tests. Hashem, please don't test me. So that's a, where we have a contradiction. And the, there you can say that one puzzle doesn't actually mean a test or it doesn't actually mean don't do it. Or it's talking about a specific case. That would be another time where you can take the puzzle out of its literal meaning. The third one is it goes against logic. 
The example given in the Munas is God is a consuming fire. So everybody knows that Hashem is not actually a fire. He's uh, he's non he doesn't have a form. Non he's, he's not limited to any sort of description such as fire. And that is something that we can prove logically. We're going to go exactly into what it means logic versus rationale later on in the podcast. And the fourth one is it goes against empirical evidence. For example, Chaba, Adam's wife, was a mother of all life. The Pusik said she was a mother of all life. Now we can see very clearly today, anybody who's been in a birthing room, which I have not, but anybody who has or anybody who's seen an animal give birth knows that the mother of that animal was not Chaba. Now it doesn't mean we're going to see something and assume something else goes against this rule. No, we can actually see that when the Pusik says Chaba is the mother of all life, I can see with my own eyes that Chaba is not the mother of that thing. Right, so when it says Chava was the mother of all life, it doesn't mean that Chava originally gave birth to all, all the animals, because that actually wouldn't fit in this category of going against the senses, because we don't know how animals were created during the first six days of creation. It might, go, it might contradict another verse. It might verse. contradict another verse, but it wouldn't contradict uh, our senses. What does contradict our senses is telling us that Chava is the mother of the life that I'm seeing being born now. For example, if an elephant give, gives birth to another elephant, that's not Chava. I mean, she might have had some weight problems, but she was no elephant. So that was not Chava giving birth, so we know that that Pusik must be taken allegorically, and that's perfectly fine. So now let's go through each one in particular to this topic of the age of the universe, the six days of creation, and see which of those Pusikim can maybe be taken out of their literal sense. Well, which reason would it go under? And now again, right. the Rashad is very clear to point out. He says, these are the only four reasons there are no others. Why does he say that? Because he says it's very concerning for people to play you know, fast and loose with the with the psukkim of the Torah. Because as soon as you start saying things might not be literal, then when you switch from the narrative parts of Torah, like the creation of the world, and start maybe moving in towards the commandment part of Torah, you could suddenly abolish all the mitzvahs that Hashem wants us to keep just by saying, oh, that's just an allegory. When it said don't eat pig, it meant uh, a pig should not enter your mouth. It meant you shouldn't speak wrong, but you can eat the actual pig. That's not what the Torah meant. So because the Torah is a book that's meant to change the actions of man, there has to be very strict rules how to interpret the verses that we're reading. Because if you can just interpret verses whichever way you see fit, the document loses its potency. Okay, so let's just go through the four very quickly. Again, it's tradition, contradiction, logic, and empirical evidence. So let's go through those in depth. So the first one is, is going to be the quickest one. Contradiction. Is there a contradiction in verses? Do we have any verses which suggest that the earth is older than 6,000 years, that there's more than six days of creation or the six days of creation are not actual six days? Not that I found, not that I've seen brought down anywhere. If any of the listeners knows of a verse, please, we'd be more than happy to, to hear of it and, and deal with it. Yeah, so we, again, certainly there's no verse that tells us that the universe is 14 billion years old, but uh, it just seems like six days of creation, my sabratius is a commonly known term even within the Torah, um, that God created the world in six days, uh, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence in any of the verses that there's anything longer. Uh, again, you can find some sort of verse somewhere in the prophets that you know says Hashem is older than time itself or whatever, um, and then try to apply it. But it's not a hard, fast contradiction that one would clearly see that, yes, I have to reinterpret those six days in order to, to uh, concur with this other verse. So it doesn't seem like contradiction of verses is going to help us interpret the first six days allegorically. But maybe there's a tradition that tells us that those first six days are not literal. Let's look at the, the sages. What do they say about those first six days? So actually, there's two distinct ways we can derive the age of the universe vis-a-vis -vis tradition. So one of them would be just a flat-out number, right? The world is 5,781 years old. The world will last 6,000 years. 
Um, so those are just a flat-out number telling us the Earth is young in tradition. Uh, you can find that number in many different ways. You can find it on divorce documents where you have to age the document vis-a-vis the age of the universe. Um, you can find that when people conclude a book. They say, this book was concluded in this year since creation. Bezras Hashem, you know, with the help of God. Uh, you can also find this tradition in Gemaras, right? So there's many ways to find that flat-out number. The other way is to look at how the tradition interprets those first six days. So if we have a bunch of traditions that say those first six days were literal days like you have days now, then again, there's no conversation anymore because if you just count those six days, then count from Adaman, you're going to come up with the number 5,781. However, those two traditions don't have to go together. So you could have people who take those first six days, maybe not literally, yet still have the 6,000-year period as their tradition. So we're going to look at all of this and we're going to go through, you know, a good amount of sources. Again, if you have any sources which you think contradicts the sources that we have, please send them in to jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. We're also going to add our numbers to the notes. So please, we want to hear your questions so we can answer them. But these are the sources that we came up with. So the first source uh, is about the flat out number. Um, so it's a Gemara in Sanhedrin in 97a, right? So it's Amr of Katina. Rav Katina says, She's alfei shni habayalma. The world is 6,000 years old. The Chad Charev. It will last 6,000 years. It will last 6,000 years, and, and then there will be 1,000 years of destruction. So forgetting the 1,000 years of destruction, what that means, but Rav Katina says uh, the length of our universe is 6,000 years. And again, I'm sure you've all, ho- all heard this. Mashiach has to come by year 6,000, right? So this is the source of that idea. Now again, Mashiach coming by year 6,000 6, is predicated on the idea that it's only been 5,781 years since the creation of the universe. If we're ready 14.8 billion years, Mashiach is very, very, very tardy. Uh, there's also Gemara, no, oh, sorry, there's also Gemara in the Zara. So it says the similar thing. Tanit Ve'elio. Tanit Ve'elio is uh, uh, teachings from Elio Anavi, actually. So Elio Anavi writes, or teaches, Shisha's Alfaim Shana Habi Oilam. The world is going to last for 6,000 years. And then he breaks the different eras into 2,000 years period. So again, another clear tradition, tradition of a 6,000 year time frame for the universe. If the world's 14.8 billion years old, we've already gone past that time frame. As we mentioned, in all Gitin, in all divorce documents, in all Ksubas, um, in most uh, Svarim, you'll have the age of the universe as the, the Jewish tradition kind of brings it down as 5781. Uh, this is throughout since the times of the Gemara. Now, th- there's an interesting Rambam in Maimur Tchais Mason where the point of Maimur Tchais Mason is a lot of people based on the Rambam's writing. You'll see this as a common theme in the Rambam's writing where people take him and then just like bring it to absurd extensions, which he clearly did not intend and do not logically flow from what he said. So he explains that the reason we believe in Tchais Mason that it's all over the Tfilais, it's all over Svarim, it's all over the place in Jewish tradition, right? So the age of the universe clearly fits under that category. Now, there's an interesting medrash in Shemais Rabbah, which explains that there was one ger, or a person who was trying to become a guy, he was trying to become a Jew, and he explained that the reason, one of the reasons he wanted to become a ger is because he said, even Hakatan Shabem, even a even a Jewish child, he knows how Hashem created the world, what was created on day one, what was created on day two, how many things were which which things were created when, and that 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 kind of knowledge is what he's he's after. That even a kid can know those things. Now, obviously, if we've been misinterpreting the Psukim, or the Psukim are meant to be taken non literally, then really no Jews have known this, and only until the past fifty years did Jews start realizing when things were created, and we were really following after the non-Jews. The non-Jews were the ones who knew it first. So that medrash really becomes obsolete. So this is another one of the traditions that we have the correct age based on the Psukim. I think it's stronger than that. The medrash is trying to convey that this is a pride 
of the Jewish people is a special knowledge that no other people have, that we know how long the universe was. Kama yesh mishin olam, how long it's been since the world was created, which clearly suggests Chazal felt that we know this number. Now, that number in all our traditions is the number of thousands of years, 5,781 in our year right now. Right. So we've spoken about the number. Now we're going to go into whether the days themselves are supposed to be taken literally. Now, again, the point of this section is not to say necessarily that the tradition requires you to believe this. It's to say that we don't have a tradition to take the Pusuk non-literally. Again, we're explaining that Rav Sajigon explained that one of the ways to take a Pusuk non-literally is if you have a tradition to take it non-literally. So whether these are traditions where you have to take it literally, which happens to be what I hold, but that doesn't really matter for this this topic. All we have to show is that there's no tradition to take it non-literally. Which and would again, allow you to allegorize the verses. And again, if you come across something, please let us know about it um, so that we can we can discuss it. So we have a Gemara in Chagiga, which explains that one of the things that was created on day one was something called Midas Yaimu Midas Lila, the measurement of day and the measurement of night, which Rashi explains meant 24 hours between them. Again, because the sun, moon, and stars were only created on day four, and that is our normal way of measuring time, you have to have a special creation of this concept of day and night following this this 12-hour periods of a 24-hour day. So again, the clear tradition from the Gemara is that the day back then was not an allegory, Day meant literally what we have as a day, which is a 24-hour period. And again, maybe it was measured differently back then because there was no sun or, you know, there was no sun or earth really to uh, to measure it. But already at day one, point one, when light was created, there's already something called a day time period, which is 24 hours. You have the Ramban in Bereshus in, in Pasa Gimel, where he says that the days mentioned in Maisa Bereshus and Bereshus Shemayim Baritz are actual days. You have the Radak who says the same thing. If you look over there, most of the Mepharshim are going to be saying explicitly that it means actual days now and again i think that's because of these principles of deciding on when the pusik says day you can't just decide it is what it is you can't just decide you want to say it is whatever you want if the pusik says day day has a meaning now the meaning of day is 24 hours because that's what we call a day nowadays so if the Torah is telling us information, it's going to correlate with the information we know of so when it says a day it means 24 hours and that's why all they're shining we saw take it Literally. Now, I just want to point out, there is one stream of Roshinim that takes those six days not literally. Because they say everything was created on day one. And that's why we separated the flat-out number tradition, meaning the world is 5,781 years old, against the six days. Because it's not correct to say there's no tradition that those six days were not literal. But it is correct to say that there's no tradition that the time period since creation was longer than 5,781 well, years. That, that stream of Rishonim, they hold that the days were literal. They just hold the things weren't created on those days. They were created in the beginning and put into place on well, the days. It was, no, no, so it's unclear if those days... No, those days don't even represent anything in, in the Ralbag, let's say, because he holds Adam was created in the first instant. Or the Ralbag is a special yeah. sheet, but most of the Rishonim, even the no, ones who hold... right. And where and they get that from the Gemara, which which gives the the, the analogy of the creation. The Raman brings down to Marnavuchim as his source for saying it was all created in the first instant and then put into place on the different days. He brings an analogy from the Gemara of the seed, which is planted on day one and then sprouts throughout the different days. Um, so again, you see that even when they're going to be taking something non-literally, they're taking it from some sort of tradition from the Gemara. And it's important to point out, it was not at all based on, it wasn't like the Raman was like, oh, I don't understand how Shem could have created the world in six days, so therefore I'm going to make he created in the first instant and put it into place in six days. There's nothing other than the Torah sources pushing 
any of these Rishonim to say what they said. The Rabag is a slightly special case, and and we we might be talking about him in a in another episode. But the main stream of the Rishonim is pointing in the same direction. And again, the point over here is not to say that the tradition is specifically this or specifically that. It's to say that we have no tradition saying to take the Pasuk non-literary, which is one of the requirements from the uh, from Rav Sajikon. As a last point, and this is actually has halachic ramifications, practical ramifications, is the Rambam in Kiddush Chodesh. The Rambam in Kiddush Chodesh in, um, in chapter 6, Halacha 8, writes as follows. He writes that the first Milad, which is the first sighting of the moon occurred on the second night of creation. Now, if the first six days are not literal, there is no such thing as the second night of creation. Not only that, the Ram says that if you lose track of what the Milet is, meaning let's say I lost all my Milet calendar, I lost my birth of the moon calendar, I don't know when exactly the birth of the moon is, because again, it gets down to the millisecond, so it's you know it's not like something you can just like, oh, there it is. It gets down, it's a very, very specific time. The Ram says, take the formula of Milad, because Milad's a set time period. It's 29 days and, and 29 and a half days and a certain amount of seconds after the previous Milad. So it's very set. Each one is the same distance from each other. And he says, just count from day two of creation and count up to whatever year you are now and you'll figure out the Milad. Now it might take, you know, a ton of time to do that math. However, the Ram is clearly saying we have a tradition of when the Milad is. It's on day two, a literal second day. The moon was literally sighted then, and that was your first Milad. And if you count up, you can actually figure out the Milad and fulfill the requirement to announce the Milad in the new month. This halach is also brought down by the Smog in Mitzvah's Asay 47, where he says the same thing, the positive commandment uh, 47, that when it's time to count the Milad, if you lose track, just count from second day of creation. Now, again, that's something that you have to have a tradition on because there's no way to conclude that the second day the Milad was seen at this and this second unless you knew that from some information because nobody was there to see it. Even Adam wasn't there to see it till day six, and this apparently happened on day two. So the Rambam is also clearly taking these first six days literally, and not only that, but there's a luchic ramification for that. It's also been pointed out, sorry, by some by some thinkers that the whole idea of Shabbos, the seventh day of rest, is predicated on six days of creation, seventh day of rest. If it's true that those first six days are not days, then the whole idea of Shabbos becomes flimsy because you're not resting on the seventh day. You should be Shabbos should come out every fourteen billion years. Okay, so that takes care of the first two: the uh, no contradiction psukim and no tradition suggesting that it should not be literal. Third one is it goes against logic. So now this does not go against logic. Now you've heard a lot of people who might be you know quoting certain of the quote unquote rationalists Rishonim saying like, oh, you can't go against something that goes against logic, and this clearly goes against logic because the scientific consensus is like that. That's not what logic means. So it, as a quick introduction into the difference in logic and rationale, uh, the example I like to use is this table in front of me, right? So there's a table in front of me and Avi, Avi and I, me and Avi. There's a table in front of me and Avi. So if I said the table was not there, that's not illogical. Because it's possible, me and Avi are imagining it, it's possible, you know, one of us is having some sort of brain malfunction where we're seeing it and it's not actually there. That's not illogical. It's incredibly irrational. It's incredibly unlikely to be true. But it is possible to not be true, and therefore it's not illogical. Something that's illogical is impossible to be true. Now, it is possible this table does not exist, and I'm just imagining it. So what's an example of something illogical? So an example of something that's illogical would be a square triangle. Right? So a square is something made up of four points. A triangle is by definition made up of three points. Three is not four. Those are not the same things. Therefore, to say a square is a triangle is to say three is four, which is to say two things that are not the same are the same. That's a logical contradiction because something can't both be the same and not the same. That's not an empirical problem. 
That's a logical problem. Another good example of a logical problem is that you can't catch corona if you're eating, right? You just can't. It's not something that you can see. It's not something empirical. You can't even formulate catching corona while you're eating logically, which is why you can take off your mask during the meal. But right afterwards, you have to put it on because logically, it can't be. So a perfect illustration of this would be something that requires a miracle in order to happen, something that doesn't go... Uh, according to the laws of nature. So let's say, for example, I said that there's a stone flying through the air. I said I saw a stone flying through the air. So that's not illogical. Yeah, that's, that's very clear. So we, we have this point brought out very nicely in the Safer Karm. When he's talking, the Safer Karm is also a, a medieval uh, philosophy Safer, and he's also talking about the allowance of taking Psukim non-literally. And he says that in order to take a non-literally, it has to be that you need to take a non-literally. And he gives exactly this example. He says, for example, let's say something goes against Teva. That doesn't mean a miracle didn't happen. That's not illogical. That's not illogical. A miracle could have happened, right? So uh, another great example from the Marnavuchim, right? So Rambam in, in the second Chelak in the 47th chapter. So he's going through different uh, stories that are brought down in Beratius. And he talks about the age of people. And he says that they lived for the Psukim, say that he, they lived for a really long time, you know, upwards of, of 800, 900 years. And in, from, in the Rambam's time, obviously, people were living to, you know, 70 or whatever. So that was clearly something that was... Uh, Went against be, the science of, right. and the nature. So he says he says it's possible maybe they knew some sort of special diet which allowed them to live that long. But he says, look, if it's impossible uh, naturally, if you if there's no way they could have done it, then it must have been a nace. Now, if something going against nature was something that the Rambam felt was means to take a Pusik out of its literal meaning, then he would have said right there, and if it's impossible naturally, then it must be taken figuratively. It's talking about the tribes. It's talking about this or that. But the Rambam didn't. He said, no, it could have been a miracle. I think the Sefer Karm is even stronger. The Sefer Karm says it has to be something that lo The seichel, the intellect, can't even form. It can't even imagine that metzias, that existence. So logical problems you can't imagine. Try right now to picture a square triangle you will not be able to. There's no way to imagine a logical impossibility. However, there is a way to imagine any miracle you want. Think of any miracle you want you could imagine in your head. So things you could imagine in your head, the Saber Karm says, is not something that you can requires you to take the Pasuk, not literally. Now, I'll give you another example, which is actually very current, right? So the Nayach story. We just finished Parshas Nayach last, this Shabbos, right? So in the Nayach story, it says, Hashem told him to gather every single type of animal into the boat. Now, understand, the boat was a certain size. It was, certainly was not big enough to carry every single species of animal in the world. The Pesach never said it was a miracle, but it just said all the animals went into the boat. So Ramban says, I don't understand how it's possible that all the animals fit in the boat. And he says, well, it must have been a miracle because that's what the Pesach tells us. Even though that's something that if you look around today, you say, yeah, there's no way all species of animals have been in a boat. It's clearly a miracle. Not only that, it's a tremendous miracle. It's a miracle where a lot of things are fitting into a small space. And yet, none of the Rishonim say, yet we're not taking those Pesukim literally. Because a natural impossibility is not the same as a logical impossibility. And the category Usadigan was putting forth was a logical impossibility. As a final illustration of this point, and this is really good, should drive the point home, because in this example, the Rishon who we're discussing is dealing with this exact issue, where it seems to be that there's scientific evidence of a older Earth than we currently, than the Torah seems to suggest, and we're going to see how that Rishon deals with it. So this is the Rambam in Mar Nvuchim, in Chelek uh, Bey's chapter 25. This is the, a very famous one, because this is actually used by many of the academics to claim that the Rambam holds you could take all these Pesukim down literally. Now, so, just to set Mati up, sorry, before you go, yeah. uh, just to set you up, it's funny, like, nowadays we think we're, like, we're in a unique position, like, all of a sudden, science has opened our eyes, and, and uh, now we have problems of faith, 
you know, science first tarot. Everybody in every generation, and this is something that we're going to harp on uh, on the show, everybody in every generation was sure of the science of their times and doubted the Tara representation. Again, Rambam in Marnuchum was, again, in the 1200s, 1100s, 1200s. The science of his time was not the science of our times. Yet Jews felt so secure with the science of their times that they were doubting their Jewish faith and writing to the Rambam, how do we reconcile the Tyra's description of the creation of the universe and the age of the universe and scientific one? The scientific prevailing, the prevailing scientific opinion at the time was that the universe was eternal as per Plato's theory or Aristotle's theory. And this, this Marnavuchan was coming to address that concern of Jewish people who said, hey, how do we reconcile the Tyra and the age of the universe as per science? The, the, the Ramah actually explicitly says this in Marnavuchim, in, uh, again, the second chapter, in the second chalak, in the second portion, in, in chapter 15. So he says that with Aristotle, many people and many Jews who study philosophy think that Aristotle has proven the eternality of the world, that the world has been, been there eternally. Um, and they think that, you know, it's, how could we argue with it? It's been proven with philosophical proofs. Um, exactly the same way you'll find people who are involved in science today who think that the scientists have proven it beyond a reasonable doubt to the point where we have to reinterpret the Torah. So this is the framework that the Rambam is working in, and it's, it seems to be the exact same framework that the, the Chachamim and the Tamid Chacham of our generation are dealing with. So it's not a new problem. Just because the science has changed, and even if our science is a more trustworthy science than that of Aristotle, his people didn't think so. His people were just as certain of their science as we are of our science. Of our, of our, of our science excuse me. And to further drive on this point, if you look back 50 years ago, to when they had a different theory of the age of the universe, when when you had a uh, what was his name, uh, Lord, Lord Kelvin, yeah, Lord Kelvin, with his when he had a, a, at fifty million, he had a hundred million, one hundred eighty million. The people of his time, you can look at the literature then; they were also one hundred percent certain of his of his thing. And then when it got expanded to two billion years, they were one hundred percent certain then. So anybody who's one hundred percent certain that the science will stop at fourteen point eight billion and not come up with a new discovery which will push it either older, younger, doesn't matter. Probably not going to push it to six thousand. Doesn't really matter if you're confident that the science. The scientific consensus of right now is where we're going to stay at. Uh, I think you're kind of ignoring scientific history. I just want to share with you an anecdote that uh, Michael Meisman put in his book, uh, Tarek Zal Science, which is a fantastic book. Um, he writes that he, w- he was writing to a professor to ask them what was the current the, – the most current theory of the age of the universe. Um, and the professor wrote back – and it wasn't like joking. This wasn't sarcastic. This was the professor being serious. He's like, he's like, well, we used to think it was 6 billion years old, but now we are absolutely certain behind a reasonable doubt that it's 13 billion years old and no other number is correct. You know, without noticing that in the same sentence he said, you know, a couple of years ago we held it was 6 billion. We've changed it by double, yet this one we're sure beyond a reasonable doubt is the correct number. So now let's dive into exactly how the Rambam deals with this uh... – scientific consensus of his time of aristotle and also of plato who both held of an eternal universe that there was no creation Uh, it was slightly different in that aristotle's theory we're not going to go exactly into all the details but basically his theory um kind of knocked out a lot of fundamentals of judaism such as miracles uh and the like while plato's didn't but both held of an eternal universe which if you think the difference between six thousand and thirteen point eight billion is a lot the difference between six thousand and eternal is even more is infinitely more so let's see how the Ramam dealt with it so he starts out with the premise that the psukim themselves, any basically any pasuk, can be read, so to speak, just on its on its face. If I wanted to, I could kind of read it allegorically. I can I can read it in a different way, and it would make sense in the psukim. He says the reason we don't do that though, is not because we can't. It's not because oh, it's, it's impossible to read that pasuk not literally. Anything's possible to read anything any way you want. The reason is for the same reason of Sadigon, You have to have a reason to take it out of its literal interpretation. So he says in terms of uh, Aristotle's eternal theory. He says there are two reasons why we cannot take it out of its literal meaning. 
The first one is not so relevant to this because, uh, you, you, well, you'll see why. The first reason is because, again, as we mentioned, it goes against fundamentals of the faith. It knocks out miracles. Now, believing in the scientific age of the universe, as of right now, 13.8 billion, doesn't knock out any fundamentals of the faith. It's not a fundamental that the world is 6,000. It just seems to be the tradition, but it's not a fundamental of the faith. So that's not really so applicable. His second reason is much more applicable, though. His second reason is because it has not been proven. It has not been proven beyond any form of understanding. And the reason it hasn't been proven is because even though looking in this from a philosophical standpoint, and this is the realm actually believe this, that if you look at the world right now and you trace it backwards, it is going to look like it's eternal because something that's in a, in a state of, of motion needs, I'm not going to get into the philosophy, but looking at the world, it would look like it's eternal. He says the reason it doesn't have to be eternal though is because we do have Hashem. We have Hashem who could come in and break the natural order of things. He can create a universe from nothing. Even though looking at the world naturally would have to be eternal, Hashem could come in and break up the natural order and just create a universe. And again, he says that the reason why we're not following the path of the Aristotle, and he, he makes a distinction because he says, we don't interpret the Pesukim about Hashem being physical literally. He says, but that's different because Hashem being not physical is impossible. It's impossible logically for Hashem to be physical. There's no logical impossibility of the world not being eternal. Now, the Ram gives two reasons why he's not interpreting it like Aristotle. One of them is tradition, right? It ruins the fundamentals of our faith. The other one is that it's not proven logically. It's not proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's just more likely, as the Ram writes. So maybe you need both, meaning maybe it has to be against our tradition and not proven logically. But if it wasn't against our tradition, maybe it just needs to be more reasonable. So you can say the evidence for the age of the universe is more reasonable and it doesn't break any fundamentals, maybe the Rambam would say you can allegorize a Pasuk, a verse, if you have a reasonable argument and it doesn't break any fundamentals. Well, here comes his argument against Plato. Plato believed in the eternality of the universe, yet his version of the eternality of the universe did not abrogate any of the fundamentals of our faith. So why didn't the Rambam interpret the Pesukim in accordance with Plato? He says as follows. Plato has not proven himself. And I'll read in the Hebrew now. Kol As long as it's not been demonstrated logically, we don't pay attention to it. We're not going to look at that opinion. We'll interpret the verses literally. The Nemarn will say, The Torah is telling us, Something that we can't understand. So again, he's saying, Plato makes more sense. I don't know if we can understand the Yishmi'ayin. But if the Torah tells me that that's what it is, I'm not allowed to reinterpret it, even though it doesn't abrogate any part of our fundamental fundamentals of our faith. And yet the Ram says, I'm not going to interpret it not literally, because it's not been proven logically. If we turn to the evidence for the age of the universe, it has not been proven logically that the universe cannot be younger than the amount of years given. There's no logical impossibility of a young earth. There's no logical impossibility of saying, for example, nature was completely different back then. The rate of decay was much faster. Stars reach us much quicker. They might be rationally hard to believe. They might be impossible naturally. But they are certainly not impossible logically. Therefore, if you're looking at the Rambam and you want support and you want to know his guidance, how to interpret Sukkim, when it runs contrary, contrary, 
to the science of the time, he would say it has to abrogate a logical impossibility in order for you to do so. Okay, so now we've taken care of the third reason from Rosagigon, which is it goes against logic. Clearly, this does not go against logic. The fourth reason, it goes against empirical evidence. Now, the example he gave is very important. Chava is the mother of all life. I can see with my own eyes that Chava is not the mother of all life. Now, could it be a miracle? Could I be missing it? Yes, that's why it's not logically impossible, but it is empirically impossible. I can see that Chava is not the mother of all life. Nobody in science has ever seen the creation of the world. Nobody has ever seen that the world is 14 billion years old. At most, they've seen things now, which they've extrapolated backwards. Now, is it possible the extrapolation was incorrect? It's possible. Therefore, it doesn't go against logic. It also doesn't go against empirical evidence because you have to be able to see it, right? So let's say the Torah tells me that um, 5,000 years ago, rocks were able to fly. Now, nothing scientific, there's nothing scientific about that. I'm not able to, I wouldn't be able to prove it scientifically. Uh, Science would actually suggest it's not true, but it doesn't go against my empirical evidence because I've never seen a rock not fly 5,000 years ago. Let's say the Torah told me, the rocks that right fly now, today. Right now, there's rocks flying. That does go against empirical evidence because I can't see rocks flying today and I could see rocks not flying Well, today. that, that well, either yeah. wouldn't be empirical because right. somewhere in the universe it might be flying. Right. If it's that every single rock flies all the time, that would go against empirical evidence because I could see that's not true. That clearly is not the case by the creation of the universe. It doesn't there's matter no how imp- strong right. the evidence is unless you had a video. Even a video would not be enough. It would have to be, you'd have to actually be there and see that what the Torah told us the creation event happened, it did not happen. So maybe, I don't know, maybe if they were somehow able to figure out time travel or some sort of where they're able to see back into the back into the past and they're able to see it not happening, that might go against empirical evidence. Anything short of that is not going against empirical evidence. So now the question that remains is, okay, so we can't reinterpret the Pesukim. The Pesukim seem to say 6,000 years. The evidence from science seems to suggest a much older universe. Now, it's, it's possible the science is wrong. It doesn't seem very likely the science is wrong, especially since there's numerous branches of science which are all pointing at an older universe in 6,000 years. So we on this podcast do not take that opinion that the science is incorrect. So the question is, where exactly is the mistake coming in? Where is that confusion coming in? Why is there this contradiction? Right. Being as we can't take the psukhanah literally, what do we do with the contradiction? We're not going to leave it as a contradiction. We're Jewish thought flow. We're not Jewish faith flow. Right. <laughs> okay, um, we're gonna we're not gonna leave the contradiction. We're gonna try to answer it. So next episode, we're gonna go in depth into two different paths. One of them is is uh, let's say original to our show. This is a thought came up by the, the host of the show, and the other one is a classic answer, which we'll flesh out and explain why it's a lot more rational than you might have thought. The point we wanted you to come away from this episode is that you're not allowed to allegorize Psukim outside of very, very unique circumstances, and the evidence for the age of the universe, the scientific age of the universe, does not fit under those standards. So now, again, this is a controversial topic. It's a topic that's been discussed by tons of thinkers, some leaning more to the left, some leaning more to the right, some more modern, some more conservative in terms of Jewish thinking. If you've seen any sources or any arguments which you think contradicts what we said today, please email us at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. I guarantee you we will put you in an episode, a mailbag episode, and we will answer all your questions. If you like our show, your friends might like it too. Please share with them. Please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Please give it a like. Do everything you can to share the bright light of Jewish oh, Thought Flow. Also, like on Facebook and Instagram at Jewish Thought Flow. We yes, have we a, have a new, brand new, new page. Facebook pages yes. and Instagram pages. So please like and follow us there and uh, share it with your friends. Thank you so much.